Hi, I'm Victor Milligan. And I'm Jennifer Isabella. Your co-host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, discussions that explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Here with us today is Maxie Schmidt, Principal Analyst at Forrester, and we're here to explore the relationship between CX and revenue. Welcome, Maxie. Hi, thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, Maxie, at the end of the day, CX was always contemplated as fundamental to growth, especially in an environment where customers have really taken charge and upon a poor experience, they might move their spend elsewhere. From your perspective and from your discussions in the marketplace, is this is how the CX initiatives have formed? Is this is where they are? I say there are really two types of companies. There is one company that is inherently customer-centric. Think of LL Bean, like over a century of customer centricity, or think of younger companies like Ally Bank. They were founded just a few years ago based on the principle that they wanted to repair a pain point that banking customers had, and that was not being able to get support and not understanding at all what all those terms on the homepage meant, for example. Yeah. So for the for the companies that are playing catch up that weren't sort of built on that premise, when you when you look at those CX initiatives, are they founded on the principle of economics or is it more like altruism where it seems like the right thing to do, but they don't sort of have that rudder that's pointing them right towards growth? So there is always an element of we need to do right by the customer. And that's a big driving force. That can be a driving force for a bottom up type of initiative. But if you see successful customer experience initiatives, there's always this thinking of this helps us uh, either get better competitively or retain our customers. So it all often happens when there is an external impetus that the current growth model doesn't work anymore. We're losing customers, they're disruptors in the market. And that's when customer experience then comes in because people ultimately realize that there is a tie because they are customers themselves. They know that they like to bring their business where they get good customer experiences. So that's inherently clear to companies, right. to executives, and so they're focusing on it. So apart from the strategy of it all, Maxi, what is really happening? Are people really tying, making that tie between CX and the revenue gains that they could get? In our research, we find that 50% uh, or more of companies don't actually do the work that they need to do to tie customer experience to any type of revenue upside. And that's a problem because ultimately those companies aren't going to be in a position to prioritize their customer experience initiatives to figure out who are the most important customers, which are their most important experiences, and how can we create experiences that will drive those customers to come back to us to spend more of their money with the firm. Mm-hmm. So if, if 50% aren't focusing their attention on those types of experiences that, that directly affect growth, What's the thought process? Do they stop and, and re-triage the journeys that customers are taking? Which ones have a more acute effect on, on spend decisions? Which ones don't? Do they deal with where they, the lapses in the experiences are significant, where they're losing customers based upon poor customer service? How do they start that triaging process to sort of reground themselves in growth? Mm-hmm. I think many of them start from a point of hair on fire, So we have a problem, maybe we've been in the press for bad experiences, Mm. what can we do? And then they start with uh, the huge pain points. And those pain points for customers, they're never a surprise. So whenever you go to a company, they know exactly what the problem is. And so they start improving those. But then when it comes to to getting more savvy about making business decisions for CX, you need to understand what are the segments of customers that you need to create rich experiences for. 
And what are the customers that have the highest revenue potential for you? This is where it ties into other departments like the analytics department. Like who are the customers with the highest lifetime value? And how can you create good experiences for those customers? So this is not a let's improve customer experience overall. This is a game of understanding which customers are very important and what kind of experiences do we want to design for them. So one of the markers would be lifetime value, which is if there's a cohort or a segment that produces a better lifetime value for whatever reason, we'll focus those design efforts there. Now, that might have the net effect of supporting all the customers that are in those same journeys, but nonetheless, the experiences are designed for that cohort. That would be the example. Exactly. It's not just a monetary value. Sometimes companies want to grow in a region they haven't been able to grow in. Sometimes there are disruptions in the market. Think of the individual and the health insurance market. That's not where most of the money comes in for health insurance companies. I mean, by far not. But this is a growing population that they need to serve and this growing population is also going to lead the way for improvements in the experience of the rest of the of the insured, insured members. I suspect that there's different connections between the industry that I'm in and the type of sort of threat that or opportunity CX presents, meaning there's different competitive considerations. There's extent to which the customer is captured. They, they might be frustrated, but they can't exit easily or they can't exit at all. Do industries have different sort of CX thought processes about how hard I should push on this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've actually done uh, quite a lot of research on this, uh, what makes an industry ripe for CX. And there are, there, are, there are a number of factors that I think are really interesting. So the first is how trapped your customers are. And the interesting thing is that um, what companies get wrong is that they do not understand that disruption can come from outside the traditional competitive set. So we often see companies underestimating the risk to lose their customers because they think they're trapped. So like cable companies as an example? For example, right? Yeah. Where you now have over the top. I personally have cut my cable. I only have it for internet service yeah. and I, I do over the top services like Netflix. Yep. So I'm going to return back to a point you made, Maxi, because you said earlier that some companies sort of began their lives with a CX thought process. And it's probably more true than not that the over the top providers or even those that are providing digital platforms that are also encroaching on markets. They start with CX as core to their business, and that's really going after the traditional business model. Yeah, Victor, I think you're right. There's some, um, um, some examples that we see, for example, in digital banking, where you can see that a company is creating a process around the customer experience, they're creating the operating model around the customer experience, as opposed to try to fit the customer into a process. Yeah. So, Maxi, you just completed some research that quantifies the revenue value of CX gains. Can you walk us through some of that data? Yeah, happy to. So let me maybe take a step back. What mm -hmm. we did is we tied customer experience to revenue gains via loyalty. Mm -hmm. So we first looked at how customer experience drives enrichment loyalty, yep. cross and upsell, and advocacy loyalty, a.k.a. recommendations. And then we quantified what that loyalty means in terms of revenue. Mm -hmm. And from that, we could create a, an, an upside, a revenue upside of improving customer experience, the customer experience index by one point. And the interesting thing there is, and I think that's also something to think about for the listeners, is that um, there are two factors that play a role. There is A, how big is the upside really? Mm -hmm. And uh, let's just, uh, for example, luxury automotive. That's a great example for this because the upside of having a customer stay with a company is incredibly high because the price point is so high, not just of the car, but also of the of the service. But then there's also the number of customers. And this is why wireless is such an inter interesting industry. Mm. So the per customer upside is actually not that terribly high, but they have so many customers that it really pays off to invest in customer experience. Right. 
So, Maxi, growth is a glass half full kind of thing, which is if I improve it, I will see a net increase in spend per customer and overall spend. But the money is not new. It's just coming from somebody else, which is if I'm not making those same gains, I can interpret this as a, a direct and immediate attack on the P&L as I speak. This is revenue churn happening now. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Most industries are so mature that it's, that it's a market share play here. And so definitely, whenever we talk about the upset of customer experience, what people should be hearing is the risk of loss by not keeping up with competition. And I think this is something to be to be thinking about when, when you think of customer experience. Improving customer experience is really getting your right to market share. Mm. So you need mm. to be better than your competitors at customer experience in order to get a higher market share. Yeah, this changes the meaning of CX a bit because the argument would be CX is tied to growth, which is a net positive the, the other argument is if you're the 50% who's not grounded in driving those experiences that affect spend, you're actually probably realizing right now revenue churn that you could control or you could mitigate against, but you're not. You're falling behind and left untended, you will fall increasingly behind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know what, in my observation, what the reason for that problem is, is that many companies are still way too focused on the acquisition so churning the acquisition wheel, getting in new customers, that's what they report on. That's really important, but not really caring what happens to the customer once that customer is acquired. Think of, of telco companies. Those are prime examples of having trained their customers that they need to defect so that they can be an acquisition target again, so that they get the good um the deals, the, and, deals, yeah, the promotions. Right. And that's this the cycle of, of always churning through your customers, which isn't going to be profitable in the long run. It's interesting how the companies will go out there and they, you know, T-Mobile is a classic one in the wireless, as you mentioned, which is it sort of tore down the switch costs. It sort of says, if you have an existing contract, we'll buy it out essentially. Mm-hmm. And that sort of destroyed the switch costs. But it didn't mean that the experiences were better in T-Mobile. It just meant that they sort of won that net share game. But they still have to retain that same customer because now the switch costs are down for everybody. That's it's a very becomes a very liquid market in that regard. Exactly. Yep. So Max, I don't want to lose the idea that these dynamics play differently in different industries. So either I'm a leader that wants to drive a deeper wedge between myself and competitors, or I'm being forced to play catch up, as you described. Is the idea in focus of experience design the same among industries? And you mentioned earlier, I'm going to focus on certain customer segments differently than others. Does it does it play the same way in different industries, or is there different dynamics at play? Mm-hmm. We found actually something really interesting in the research. So when, when firms think about the relationship of customer experience and revenue, somehow there's this implicit assumption that it's it's a linear lockstep relationship. Meaning, if I fix something, I'll get a gain. I fix something, I'll get a gain. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And no matter where where I start, it's always the same gain. And that's that's kind of an implicit assumption that I've that I've seen um, um, firms make. And that assumption is true. For for example, for retail, it's true. It's true for auto and home insurance and for a number of industries. But there are industries for which that isn't true. So, for example, in some industries, you see more of a an exponential pattern. That means the higher the customer experience index scores goes, the overproportionately bigger the revenue increases will be. That's, for example, uh, banks. So the sky really is the limit for customer experience improvements. You also see the opposite effect of that. You see in wireless providers, for example, uh, diminishing returns of customer experience. So the revenue increase gets smaller as you increase customer experience index scores. And that that pattern is so important to understand because that directly tells firms where to invest money. 
at the base of this model you brought up earlier was this concept of enrichment. And I'm going to just focus on banks and wireless for a second. If I'm a wireless provider, I can only get enrichment for so long. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a reasonable bound of a contract price I have with a customer. But I'm from bank, it's a big upside for there. You can go in to get the mortgage. You can get the wealth management. There's a lot of upside to the money. Is that part of what's happening here, which is how big can the pot get? How big can the wallet get? Yes, definitely. That's that's exactly what's happening with the banks. They have just such a such a huge cross-selling opportunity that um, there's, as you said, there's no no nearly no bound to the to the upside of that. Yeah. So we've talked about you know the relationship between CX and revenue. What other benefits are there for people to be investing in CX? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is where I firmly believe that firms need to look a lot broader into the top line and the bottom line mm-hmm. impacts of improving customer experience. Just to stay with the, with the top line, we just talked about retention and enrichment. Think about price, price elasticity. For example, we've shown in our research that in the long run, improving customer experience leads to a higher willingness to pay a price premium. That's right. And that's, that's why um, a hotel like the Four Seasons in Las Vegas, which has a five-star Expedia rating, gets a 100% price premium over the Mandalay Bay Hotel, which has a four-star Expedia rating, and it is in the same building. Hmm. So that's a huge, huge impact. And... In some, some some cases, it's not the willingness to pay price premium, but it's just it's a lower price elasticity. So we don't react quite as poorly to changes in price right. as long as those price differences are within like a zone of tolerance. Mm-hmm. But then there's also the bottom line effects of customer experience, which I think can be substantial for uh, for firms. So acquisition costs. If you truly believe that better experiences lead to recommendations that reduces acquisition costs, costs to serve. So better experiences lead to customers not having to call or to fix their problem in in other ways. Mm -hmm. But then there's also something like, for example, employee turnover. And that's the thing that companies are aware of somehow, but not really really monetizing or not even quantifying properly. Better customer experiences can lead to better employee engagement scores because especially with uh, the huge generation of millennials being part of our workforce, they now are the biggest part of our workforce – they crave a sense of purpose, even more than other generations before that. And providing good experiences satisfies that sense of purpose, which means that those employees are likely to stay on, which reduces employee turnover, which reduces the cost to acquire and train new employees right. that are substantial. Earlier in this conversation, Maxi, you brought up this idea that 50% of the CX initiatives or programs sort of are poorly focused. How much are these CX programs thinking of this as a portfolio management game, which is I have a portfolio of opportunities, and I'm now looking at which ones I focus on based upon top and bottom line impact. The, the, the companies that are really good at this always do both. They always look for opportunities to drive out really bad experiences, because those always happen, but they also look at how they can differentiate uh, on the top end. But this is not the bad experiences, sort of hair on fire that makes you feel bad about things. This is the one that actually you deduce I can have a meaningful impact on top and bottom line. It's different than the hair and fire example you gave earlier. Yeah, exactly. And uh, think about think back to wireless providers. Now, if wireless providers, if all of their customers already had pretty good experiences, then even though they face diminishing returns, they might still want to invest there because the number of customers that they can affect is so much bigger there. Mm. So it's an, it's an understanding of where are my most important customers and what kind of experiences do they have currently. And I, I think you brought the the 
the notion of a portfolio, that's how I think the, the best companies think of it. They prioritize by things that are really urgent to solve, but they also prioritize um, customer experience initiatives that will gain them long-term differentiation in the market. Mm. I'm going to build on a point and go back to banking for a second. So we see over the next couple of years the further impact of digital banks, which are, to your earlier point, centered on the customer experience as a, the reason for them being – then you're going to see digital platforms like Facebook and others come into banking that are also premised on strong customer experiences, but also very different kinds of customer experiences. So if you're a bank, you have to sort of guard against those experiences which may put risk against the digital and then envision fundamentally new experiences to compete with some of these digital platforms. That's kind of a hard game to play. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, some, some of the direct banks are now investing heavily in peer-to-peer payments because that's what millennials are used to. That's what they're, they're, they're asking for, like Venmo and so on. And banks that don't have that um, will ultimately go out of business because that's the, the new reality of, of doing business for that target group. And so that's what I meant earlier. If those, if, if, if the customers are already happy, so they're, they're, they're going to be the first that give you the benefit of doubt if you're trying out something new and they're going to stick with you and help you improve it. So the upside of improving customer experience is sometimes also not just the revenue, but it's also the, the trust of the customer and the willingness of the customer to engage with the firm and to do something for the firm. But, tr- but trust is finite because one of the arguments in, in direct banking and some of the digital platforms is the world keeps spinning which is as more digital innovation occurs and as customers continue to advance and have expectations be loaded by their best experiences they get, they're going to demand more and demand more and demand more. So you might be good now and safe now, but that doesn't mean you're safe in a year. You're never safe. So the the argument is that CX has a significant impact on top, and now you just introduced the bottom line. And the thought process would be that if this is true, the executives would would buy in. They'd be advocates of this thing. But I think what we've learned is – advocacy can be fleeting. It can start as an email, but advocacy needs to be persistent and tenacious because CX is not simply an exercise in improving experiences. It is for many companies fundamental change to their their very way of doing business. Yes, this is exactly it, Victor. CX can't be a town hall mandate. What it is in many companies um, that uh, it gets talked about, there is this buy-in customer experience. Folks might even think they have the executive buy-in, but then when it comes to facing a middle manager about making a process change, delaying that price increase, or uh, doing anything else that is good for the customer experience, suddenly there is a trade-off that that middle manager has to do. And that trade-off then often happens at the expense of customer experience. Because when that middle manager goes back to the executives, they don't get asked in their in their meetings, so what's, what about customer experience? They get asked about their P&L. And because, remember, the 50% that haven't tied customer experience to financial success, because you can't make that tie so easily, that trade-off then is often going the wrong way. So the P&L can actually subvert the very efforts to drive growth. That's, that's the irony of that. Exactly, because many companies are short-term focused and the, the positive effects of customer experience are in the short term. So think about cost savings that happen pretty directly. They're medium term, but they're also long term, like revenue, uh, customer and, uh, employee engagement. Those are long term f- effects of improving customer experiences that are sometimes hard to quantify. So this is not executive as champion or cheerleader. This is executive as delivering a mandate and staying directly involved. Yes, exactly. That's an executive that has a running meeting every every week that starts with the customer experience. It starts with customer stories. It starts with what have we learned from the customer, which mistakes have we made, and how have we improved this? That's the type of executive that customer experience initiatives need. But the reason for this podcast is we, we find ourselves in an interesting time where we can recognize the critical importance of CX, but we see a lot of CX programs sort of treading water. 
as you talk to that group, what, what does it all mean to them? What, what should they be thinking about? I think you've, you've nailed the summary about the importance of customer experience. What I think where customer experience programs falter still is that they're not good enough at the execution of it all. A, they're not good enough at determining how good should customer experience even be? How important is customer experience right now? Am I ahead of competitors? Am I behind? What kind of experience level do I need to provide? But then they're also not good enough at the execution of that. So prioritizing which customers they want to design for, um, delivering those experiences, and so on. In my opinion, what what's part of the problem is that many companies are number-driven. And customer experience folks need to get better at making people feel comfortable with customer experience as a discipline. Most companies don't have a measurement framework that does that. Think of it like a house. So at the bottom are metrics that help me understand what interactions have customers had. For example, somebody goes to the website and tries to pay a bill, tries several times, finally abandons, gives up. That's objectively what happens. The next level up in that house is how customers perceive those interactions. That's their experiences. And I mean, in my example, pretty good chance that the experience will not be good. The next level up is what will the customer do as a result of that? We call this a customer economics. So that might be the customer will call to pay that bill because couldn't finish it online. And the customer might detract from the company, might tell friends, well, you know what? They're just, they're just not good at, at what they do. Don't, don't become a customer. And then that's reduced loyalty, higher acquisition costs. And now we're talking about behaviors that directly impact financial success. And that, that leads to that, that roof of the house, which is financial success. So the interactions a customer has affect how they perceive those interactions, affect what they're going to do as a result of the interactions, affect financial success. So being able to tie customer experience into it like that, not just as the satisfaction score from a survey, but as something that fundamentally drives financial success is what this all means to me. Max, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for links and relevant content on today's discussion. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn.